Well, good morning again, and a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms here in Maryville and in Knoxville. I hope today is a great day for you. You feel loved and celebrated. Today, we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled Messy, and I thought Mother's Day would be a good day to start this series on because, let's just be honest, being a mom is really messy from time to time. Can I get an amen, ladies? Yeah. Um, According to a new survey by Suave... uh, (laughs) 1,000, where does he find these things? 1,000 moms were surveyed and 75% said they have skipped a shower to take care of the needs of kids. Anybody would admit to that? No, don't do that today. (laughs) Um, In fact, a quarter of them confessed to going three or more days without showering. (laughs) Can happen, being a mom is messy. Half said that their appearance has taken a hit (laughs) since having kids. And two-thirds say they now wear sweatpants and ponytails a lot more. (laughs) Almost half of them said that they've gone without a haircut for seven or more months. Wow. Being a mom can be messy, right? Uh, Think about the messy things that you have done for your kids when they are little The house always seems to be a mess, toys everywhere, sippy cups everywhere, laundry and dishes piling up. I've seen moms wipe noses with bare fingers. You've seen it. And then wipe it on their pants. I've seen it. I've seen moms catch throw up projectile in midair, right? Sometimes backhanded. Either way, they get it done. Moms, you've been spit up on, you've been pooped on, you've been peed on, you've been cried on. In the teen years, you've been yelled at, you've been laughed at, you've been cussed at. You've sat through uh, teacher meetings, counseling sessions probably. You've dealt with dating drama and friend drama. You've had to deal with boyfriends and girlfriends that become in-laws, which are now spouses, you know, And of course, they're not good enough for your child. You deal with grandchildren drama now. And you have to go through all of those phases all over again while you help your child deal with the same issues. Moms, uh, you've been through a lot. (laughs) And being a mom is really messy. But in the mess, there is love. In the mess, there is hope. In the mess, there's the still small voice that says that you are doing a good work. In that mess, there's the still small voice that says you are loved and God is with you. And so no matter what challenge you might be facing today with your kids or just life in general, we know that God is with us and he loves us. Everybody makes mistakes and there is no parent that is perfect. Parenting is messy. Being a mom is messy. Life in general is messy because people are messy. And just like there's no such thing as a perfect parent, there's no such thing as a perfect church either. We are a messy people and that means messy people come to church and in the church uh, there is oftentimes a lot of hurt and painful things. And so if you're looking for the perfect church, keep looking because you have not found it here at Foothills Church. When you think about marriage, you can leave a spouse and find a new spouse uh, hoping it'll be better, but the new spouse is going to have their own fair share of messiness as well. And so it's 
gonna be a matter of you dealing with the mess and how you're gonna deal with the mess and will you choose to overcome the mess and choose to forgive and deal with the messiness that is of uh, all relationships. And so you might think that when you read the Bible, the first churches that God established would be great, godly, you know, gospel-centered churches. You might think the first ones were like the best and then after that, over time, they just kind of got worse and worse until we are today. But that is not the case. The first churches were just as messed up as us, uh, if not even more so. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see that as we dive into this new series that we're calling Messy. And so we're going to study uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go through every chapter, one chapter a week for the next several weeks and, and talk through it and learn a lot. We're going to uh, realize that this church was messed up for a lot of different reasons. And uh, in, in, in so many ways, we're going to relate to that. Uh, in fact, I think there's kind of a growing trend, you know, for people to actually talk about their church hurt on social media and, and uh, kind of uh, because of the pain or the hurt that they've gone through, you know, they kind of deconstruct their faith or, or, or you know, their, their uh, trust in the church. And so, you know, we, the reality is, of course, uh, hurt happens in church. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid, remember, so I grew up with people doing a lot of harm to myself and our family and they all said they love Jesus and so I get it uh, like anyone else might get it in the room today but what we have to realize is that yes there is hurt and pain because we are sinful people and I recognize that there are issues that happen in the life of our relationships in a church but the reality is every single one of us have to uh, realize that we're all in process that we're, we're all messed up in different ways and we can't allow our differences, we can't allow mistakes, we can't allow pain to stop us from the vision to make disciples, the great commission. And as we make disciples, we're engaging in the life of the church to change and make a difference in the world. And so we'll take the next several weeks to work through 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. And we're going to begin here in chapter or one, but in verse four. And so Paul says to the church in Corinth, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. So he begins the, the, the letter by telling them that every single one of us need to actually give thanks for God's grace in our life. He is saying, I thank God for you because of God's grace that has been given to you. And so I think that's important today. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you through Christ Jesus. So grace we know is the undeserved favor and love of God. And God's love for you is displayed by his willing sacrifice on the cross for our redemptive good for people that did not love him. Think about the amazing grace that God has given to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his grace, his love to, to, to you and to I who didn't love him. And Paul says, I wanna thank God that he gave that grace to you. I wanna thank God for my church. Well, that's great for us to rem remind ourselves today about that he is thankful for his church. 
And so I want to just encourage you, like when you look around the room today, when you look around your small group, can you, can you be a, a person of gratitude and actually thank God for the church family that God has given to you? He calls us to be thankful for one another. And he demonstrates his grace by loving a people who didn't love him. That is amazing grace. And I think in light of today's holiday, uh, our, our moms in the room and our moms in Knoxville, like I think we can apply this to say, you know what, let's give God thanks for the grace that he has given to us through our moms, through the way that they loved us. You know, you only get one mom and no mom is perfect. But if you are blessed enough to have a mother that loves you, I wanna encourage you today, take care of her, love on her, encourage her. If you forgot the card or the gift, make sure. You could actually leave during the middle of this message. I give you permission, I won't get offended, to go get your mom a gift and a card and to love on her today. If you're gonna play golf today, guys, let's postpone that tea time and honor our spouse and our moms. Maybe your mom uh, was great, but you're just not really good at expressing your feelings. You're not good at sharing how much you appreciate her. And I just want to encourage you to get over your selfishness today and to verbally tell her how much you love her. Uh, maybe you're, you don't have the greatest relationship with your mom. And maybe there's some issues there that are, that are difficulty. Could I, could I encourage you today to forgive her? Could I encourage you just to let that go today and, 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 and encourage her today and, and love on her with some kind words? What a difference that could make. My mom was the greatest mom in the history of moms. And uh, this month, uh, it will be four years since she passed away uh, from cancer. And so as a guy who knows that you never know what tomorrow will hold, I wanna encourage you to take time. You never know when, when you won't be able to ask for forgiveness. You never know when you won't be able to give a hug. You just don't know when you won't be able to say the words that have been left unsaid. So take care of mom. Thank God today for the grace that he bestowed on you with the gift of your mother today. Let's keep going as we look at verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So if you're taking notes today, I think the th second point is this. We've got to stand united by the cross. He says, I appeal to you, be united, be of the same mind, be of the same judgment. Let there be no division among you. The Greek word there for division comes from the word schisma. It's where we get our word schism. And it suggests a tear, like it would rip your garment in half. The Corinthian church was in fact split in many different factions, all kind of fighting for control of the church. And so they'd form cliques and they were making verbal accusations against each other. They were arguing about different opinions. There was envy and complaining and gossip. And they were a mess. And one of the big reasons for this divisions is because they were divided over leadership style. 
And so some were saying, well, I follow Apollos. Well, I, I follow Peter. Well, no, I follow Paul. And then there was a group that said, oh, well, we, we don't follow, man. We follow Jesus, oh, right? Super righteous, you know, thinks they're perfect and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so Paul recognizes this division is due to a leadership style. They were picking sides and choosing who they were going to stand with. Now, you can kind of see how it would unfold. I mean, Paul was this super educated guy who was very popular in Jerusalem. He was the guy that started the church. So he had influence and people loved him. And so there was a group that was like, no, we're, we're going to stand with Paul. We, he's our guy. And then you've got um, um, Apollos who in Acts 18 says that he was a very uh, eloquent speaker. And so he had the gift of speaking. And so probably a charismatic leader, very intelligent apologist, uh, uh, it, uh, Acts tells us. And so, so you can see how people might've been drawn to his leadership style. And then of course, you've got Peter, uh, Cephas or Cephas, however you wanna say it. And, and uh, Peter, we've talked about him the last couple of weeks. He was very bold and, and very kind of in your face. And he was a guy that actually spent time with Jesus. So of course, there would be a group of people that were kind of aligned with his leadership style. And so Paul is saying, look, they all preach the same gospel. You're, you're not called to follow a man, you're called to follow Jesus. And so he makes the point that we are, are, are not to allow our allegiances to certain leaders divide the church. You've got Paul, you've got Apollos, you've got Peter. They're all teaching the same gospel, but the members of the church we're drawn to certain leaders for the same reason that you and I are drawn to certain leaders. Same thing happens in church today with the rise of the internet and social media. People are following pastors and, and ministry leaders from all over the world. And man, did we see this over the last couple of years through COVID and all the craziness of the divisions that we went through as a country. And we had people saying, oh, I follow this guy in California. Oh, I follow this guy in Georgia. I'm following this guy and wherever. And, you know, we're, why don't we say or do what they do? And why aren't we saying this or going here or doing that? And it's just like, whoa, right? People, people attracted to a certain leader around the country who they don't know, who they don't get to talk to, who they don't understand the context of their ministry or church, but would follow them more so than people that they actually know. It's very, very interesting. If you want to follow another church or another pastor, more power to you. But what Paul teaches us here is that our focus needs to be on the gospel. And you and I are called to submit to the leadership of the church that God has called us to serve. Not some other church across the country, but the church that you have decided to partner with and become a member of. The problem is we, we need to be aware of this as a people because we have a tendency to attach ourselves to specific leaders. And then we begin to find our identity in our allegiance to that successful leader. And it's always a successful leader. Nobody's attaching their identity to, you know, somebody we might deem a loser. <laughs> it's always somebody who is good or looks successful, right? And so we attach our allegiance to this person. And the reason is because we like to find our identity in their success. And the reality is we're very sad people. <laughs> when you think about it, our self-esteem is very low and we're looking for anything to make ourselves feel better about who we are. 
And so we'll attach ourselves to somebody else who looks or, or we believe is successful so that when they win and they are winning or they say something that is received well, we can say, that's my guy. And it makes me feel good because I've aligned my allegiance with his or her identity. I mean, the easiest way to kind of um, see this in your life is through sports. And so if you're a sports person, you have your favorite college team or professional team, right? And when they do well, what do you say? We won! That was incredible. I can't believe it. We're champions. We're number one. <laughs> you sat on the couch eating potato chips all year. What, what did you do? You didn't win jack squat. You didn't help jack squat. You don't know jack squat, right? But we do that. Why? It's just human nature. We don't feel like we're good enough. And so we want to attach to people who we deem good. And when they win, we feel better about ourselves. So when you are attaching yourself to Peter and Apollos or to some other religious leader around the globe, what happens when they make a, a mistake or a moral, moral failure? Now your identity is crushed. And it's no wonder people start to lose their faith in the church or lose their faith in leaders. Why? Because you held in esteem someone you should have never held into esteem. We don't find our identity in a man or a woman. We find our identity in Jesus. And when we understand that, we can prevent a lot of emotional roller coasters and really idolatry. When we start to idolize someone in our life, we give them allegiance. We place them in an authority in our life and that replaces Jesus as the authority in our life. And this is exactly what Paul is fighting against. They're divided by leadership styles. And I would just encourage you that you would not allow that to happen. It's, it's why we would fight over, this is the greatest musician or best rock band in the world. Have you ever been in that argument? Oh, they're the greatest and here's why. And you get passionate about it, why? because you have given that rock band your allegiance. And when they're successful, you feel successful. So folks, we've got to understand this. Secondly, we, we see that they're divided over theology. And so over the next several weeks, they're going to, um, we're going to unpack all of these theological problems. And so they're going to talk about the resurrection. Like, did it happen? What does it look like? Is it real? Can we really believe in it? He's gonna talk about speaking in tongues and is that real and should we be doing that? He's gonna talk about the Lord's Supper and should we be getting drunk at the Lord's Supper? Because that was happening. Some of you are like, can we just participate in the Lord's Supper today? You know, I wanna go to that church. We're gonna talk about that. So all kinds of theological issues. Sexuality was an issue. You had guys sleeping with their moms. What the heck is going on around here? It was messed up, right? And so we're going to dive into all of these theological issues over the next several weeks. But in verse 10, he says, let there be no divisions among you. Be united in the same mind and same judgment. So he, what he's calling us to do is he wants us to think through the lens of the gospel, not the world. The world is completely divided right now. There's, there's left and right and all kinds of in-betweens, right? And, and, and as a church, as people who follow Jesus, we are we are coming up with our opinions and ideas, not just on what man's wisdom teaches us, but what the Bible teaches us. So how does the gospel shape your opinion of leadership and theology and politics and, and sexuality? The Bible informs that decision. Paul's saying, have this mind, the same biblical mind together, 
That's why we talk about essentials and non-essentials at FC. The essentials are those things that are, depend on heaven and hell. These are the things like Jesus is the only way. Jesus physically died on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave. Like these are the things that we think are so essential that if we don't believe these things, then we're not really followers of Jesus. And so we can't argue about this. This is what we've agreed as partners that we believe and we're, we're gonna lean into. And then there are several non-essentials that we talk about, but there's thousands of non-essentials that we could talk about and say, these are issues that you can have a different opinion about. You might think this and that's okay. I might think this and we both might turn to the Bible to try to prove what we believe. But at the end of the day, these are debatable secondary issues. And so Paul would say, don't let these silly secondary issues divide you. But what do we see in churches? We see division. Back in the day, it was what kind of music are you gonna play or what color is the carpet? Today is, do you believe in science or mask or COVID or president this or president that? I mean, on and on and on, all these secondary issues, the enemy is laughing and all day long at the fights that you and I see on social media about secondary non-essentials that don't mean anything. Heaven and hell is in the balance for people in our community. And we're arguing about stupid, stupid, irrelevant things. This is exactly what Paul is dealing with in the very first church. And I think it's important that we understand that we can have a difference of opinion about things. It's okay. You're not God. You may or may not be right. I may or may not be right about something. We have people on our staff over theological issues that we are like, well, I think this. And somebody might say, well, I think this. Well, that's interesting. Truth is we don't really know. But here's what we do know, and those are the things we align on. Culture isn't gonna agree, but as a church, we've gotta fight for unity and have the same mind, right? And so this means that we can disagree, but it's how we disagree about things. It's how we treat each other. It's recognizing that we could be wrong about something. And so it's not a hill that we need to die on or it's not a hill that we need to, you know, decide that we've got to leave or dishonor someone or gossip about them or break fellowship with them. The gospel beckons us to fight for unity. And that means you're going to have to lay down your opinion about things that don't really matter. Paul wants us to be united. God wants us to be united but let's just also remind ourselves that we will not be united with the culture. It's just not gonna happen. We're not gonna be united with the culture because the culture does not think through a gospel lens. In fact, if you talk about issues in our country, the, you know, the majority of the world would say, I don't care what the Bible says. It's not an authority in my life. I don't recognize it as anything special. If you do great, you go do you, but I'm gonna go do me. And this week, I think we all saw this uh, very clearly when the Supreme Court leaked this information about Roe v. Wade and what's gonna happen and are the states gonna now decide on abortion and, and uh, will it be overturned? And I think where do we get our opinion on this? Where do we stand as followers of Jesus? And again, as Christians, our opinion about these things, specifically abortion, has to be based on biblical teaching and a biblical understanding. We don't just listen to people who are popular or wealthy or have degrees behind their name. Scripture clearly teaches us that all pre-born children should be treated as a real person, 
the moment of conception. In fact, in Psalm 139, I want to share this with you today because I think it's important because we're all thinking about it all week and seeing it all over the news. In verse 13, it says, for you form me, God, you form my uh, inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. (laughs) Even before I was born, he says, you knew the number of my days and what I was gonna go through. So God formed you, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He intricately uh, wove us together. My, he says, my unformed substance. And so even in the beginning stages, you and I are a real person. We're a real person in the womb. And God sees us clearly and perfectly in the mother's womb. And so this shows us personhood because God has already prepared your days. The days that were formed for me, there was a purpose, there was a plan for every preborn child. So God is uniquely at work in the womb, the moment of conception, whether you call it an embryo or you call it a fetus or you call it a person or a child, no matter what you call it, to end the forming, knitting, miracle working of God in the growth of a human being in the womb is murder. And And just because you cannot see them with the naked eye, it does not mean that they're not real people. So I'm certainly glad that my mom understood the dignity of life and and chose to have me. And as Christians, we have to find unity around this issue. All people are created in the image of God. Life starts in the womb and we've got to stand for that. We're the salt, we're the light of this earth. And so we know what is true. We know and and must fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. And so that is why we speak boldly. And that is why we share boldly. And that is why we shed light. We are the conscience of the world. And the only way that we can be a conscience is through the word of God. It is not something that we come up with. It is not the wisdom of man. It is the wisdom of God. And so we believe this, but it's not just like we stand up here and say, oh, this is wrong and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) <laughs> no, we, we teach what the scripture says. And then here's what else we're doing. We give and we support and we send volunteers to local pregnancy resource centers in Blount County and Knoxville that, that are advocates and there to minister to young women who are in crisis and, and, and help them to know that there is a, a better plan and purpose for them. It's why we talk about adopting and foster care opportunities all the time. We give money to, we train people. These organizations, we train them here at FC. We're advocates for them. We have ministries that support families who are fostering and who are adopting. If you didn't know that and you are, go to the Connect Center today so that we can know who you are because we're here to help. Yes, it should inform how we vote. Yes, you should run for office because we need more people in office with Christian uh, beliefs and worldviews. And so we do all of this because we care about 
women and we care about children. We care about life. We also give money to support and send people who have had abortions because there are some, some, um, some things that, that maybe guilt, maybe pain, just all of the things that might go on with that. We care about those people as well. And so we send to those ministries and, 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 and support those ministries. Why? Because we care about people. We care about life. And so it's not just a, here's what we believe and we're out. It's like, no, here is a full body, like immersive, comprehensive ministry towards advocating for life in this community. And so I felt like that was important to share this morning. And I think Paul is saying that issues like this that are clearly taught in the scripture, like we uh, rally around these concepts and this unites us. Let's keep going. Let's jump down uh, to verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross is folly, it's stupid to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if you're taking notes, the third thing I would say today is we've got to stay committed to true wisdom and true power. See, the world has a, a thought process about what wisdom is and how to, how to buy into wisdom and how to get wisdom. But Paul is t- teaching us here that we must stay committed as a church to the true wisdom and power of God. Not a false wisdom and a false power, but a true wisdom and power. And that is only found in Christ. See, the issue with people in Corinth is the same issue we face in our culture. Culture says that wisdom comes from gaining knowledge, right? Get a title, get influence, get popular, have a lot of money, boom, people will follow you and boom, people will think that you have something to add to their lives, right? I think The Rock would make a great president. Why? Because he's rich, good looking and famous, right? He's successful. I mean, we're really weak people. If that's all it really takes, I think we could give him a shot. (laughs) It's so ridiculous how easy we are swayed by popular successful people. That is the wisdom of the world. Someone that has degrees, someone that speaks eloquently, someone that argues well, all of a sudden can convince someone who's been in church for 20 years that maybe the gospel is foolish. We've gotta be careful because we swim in the same waters as culture. And so we start to believe and formulate opinions based on what powerful people or smart people, wise people, according to the world, have to say. And so we look to those in culture who have made it, who have been successful, achieved something, and we let them influence our opinions. And Paul says that we preach a gospel that is seen as foolishness to this wise world. We preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews. 
It's foolishness to Gentiles. The wisdom of God, you see, is the cross, but to intellectuals in the world, it is foolish. Doesn't make sense. No sane person, the world would say, would actually serve a God that allows himself to be beaten and killed on a cross. That's foolish. There's no power in that. Jews look for a sign to validate their faith. And there are people today that will give me a sign. If God does this, then I'll believe. Always looking for a sign to validate what they're gonna believe. Greeks, Gentiles, he says, look to wisdom to give them hope. If it sounds good, if it looks good, then it must be wise. Think about the, the people that Paul's talking to, these Greek philosophers that you studied in college, right? They, they've written and, and influenced culture for uh, decades, generations now. These are, the, these are the lecturers and the intellectuals that, that all of the people in Corinth are, are looking to or have looked to. And Paul says, it's foolishness. That's all foolishness. God is the wise, true power and author of all things. See, the gospel was a stumbling block. It was a scandal to those who weren't believing, but to those who do believe, it is the power of God. He doesn't say the gospel or the cross is wise. He says it's the power of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you've experienced that power in your life. It changed your life. It changed your marriage. It changed your mentality on life. It gave you peace and hope in a time of great struggle. It changes how you think. Everything about the gospel changes us and we know that it was the power of God that actually changed, changes us. In verse 18, he sa- tells us that the cross is what saves sinners. So we have no hope in this life or the next unless God sent his son to the world to suffer and die on a cross, to take your place and die, and then raise from the grave. There is no hope outside of that. Leon Morris writes this, the gospel of Christ crucified is not merely good advice telling us what we should do, nor is it information about God's power. It is God's power. It is God's power. The cross is true wisdom because it shows us that we have limitations. It shows us that, that our limitation is that we, we need God. We can't do this on our own. We can't get forgiveness on our own. We can't earn it, we can't pay for it. So we need God. See, that's the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of the world says, just do your best and God will you know, see you through. Just believe what you wanna believe and it'll work out. That's the wisdom of the world. The word of God says, no, that is foolish. The cross is the only wisdom. The wisdom of the world says the hero would have conquered Rome, would have killed everybody in government, would have killed all the guards and, and not even gone to the cross and overtaken the city and become the leader of the city. That's what the hero would have done. That's what the world says wisdom looks like. The wisdom of God is that Jesus gave up his standing. The wisdom of God is that Jesus gave up his rights. The wisdom of God is that Jesus gave up his position in heaven and he gave up his power to be arrested, to die so that he could pay for your sins. And then he rose from the grave, giving us 
freedom and victory over death and the hope of heaven. You see, I think there's a lot of division in the world. We see it. But Paul tells us in the church, we've got to fight against that division. See to it. I appeal to you, he says. I plead with you. Have the same mind. Be united. Don't let there be divisions amongst us. When we do, we give thanks to God for his grace. We give thanks to God for his grace in giving us the mom that he gave us. We stand united by the cross, keeping our attention on the gospel and helping people and not all these secondary issues that don't matter. And we stay committed to true wisdom and power. And we form opinions based on the Bible and not not on what man says is popular to believe. And when we do that, we fight against the enemy together. And we continue to see the vision of making disciples happen. So it's to that end that I wanna pray for you today and ask God's blessing that he would unite our church in thought and knowledge and vision and purpose together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. And God, we just wanna ask you that in this moment today that we would truly give, have hearts of thankfulness for the, the grace that you've given to us to save us and the grace that you've given to us by giving us a mom that loved us. God, we wanna pray for the strength to stay committed to true wisdom and power. God, we wanna, we wanna ask that you would give us the grace, Lord, to be united around the cross, that we would humble ourselves and not feel like we have to have our opinion, the right opinion and heard all the time. And Lord, we just pray and we just ask God that you would in fact give us a heart for this church to be united. And Lord, we'll praise you and give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.